Umberly is a feared deity of the open ocean and sea. Offerings to her are demanded from those who attempt to sail across her waters. If not, a watery grave will soon be upon them. I am Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles Umberly's most-used title may or may not move my podcast into the explicit category, so I'm playing this one safe. So what I'm going to do is remove the letter B off the troublesome word, and it should be fairly obvious as to what this title is. Umberly is often called the Itch Queen. Once again, the Itch Queen. I took a B off that first word. Moving on. Other titles Umberly goes by are the Sea Queen, Queen of the Deeps, and the Wave Mother. Portfolio and Domains Umberly's portfolio includes oceans, currents, waves, and sea winds. Now I mentioned this only since it was described in the Sea of Fallen Stars 2nd Edition supplement, but I don't exactly agree with it since it seems to contradict with aspects of Umberly's influence in large bodies of water. These contradictions and overlap aren't exactly uncommon to the Forgotten Realms since there's so many different deities in this setting. But Umberly's portfolio includes only the first 100 feet of the sea and oceans. However, the remaining depths of these massive bodies of water fall under the portfolio of Eldath, where calm is far more present. Since the vast majority of surface dwellers never go past these initial 100 feet, it has left them with the perception that Umberly is the only deity of the sea. So where I land on this topic is that this is only brought up in one supplement, well at least one supplement that I saw and read. It never comes up in any other 2nd edition, 3rd edition, etc, etc, up until now 5th edition books. And even when I previously did the episode on Eldath, mind you, I didn't look at this 2nd edition supplement, it never was mentioned, oh, by the way, she's a deity of the calmer depths of the massive bodies of water that exists in the setting. In the end, I don't put too much weight in one relatively unknown 2nd edition supplement over what the overwhelming majority of the rest of the supplements point out. I only bring this up so, to be fair, just to allow the audience to make their own judgment call on this matter. Getting back to the main topic at hand, Umberly's domain for 5th edition is Tempest. Appearance and Manifestations Umberly rarely appears, rather letting destructive winds and waves speak for her. When she does appear, Umberly appears as a female humanoid, though she does not resemble any of the known races of the sea. She has blue-green skin, taloned hands, fins on her elbows, eyes of pale pearl and color, and hair made of kelp. Umberly is adorned with jewelry made from seashells and a cape made from a million jellyfish. She wields a magical trident that she calls the Drowning Death. In 3rd edition, this trident is a plus 5 magic trident 
that also has other magical properties attached to it. She can summon sharks, giant sharks, and water elementals to aid her if she needs them. Umberly has direct control over the winds that blow immediately above the sea or ocean, as well as controls the waves. In combat, Umberly can unleash powerful gales of wind and sizable waves that do their own separate types of damage. Umberly is able to shape the waves to her own bidding enough to engulf and drown swaths of sailors or Focus it in to the point that it is a refined funnel of water that has enough accuracy to knock the rings off the fingers of her opponents. Since Umberly sits as an intermediate power level deity, she automatically receives a die result of 20 on any check she makes. Anyone she rolls during a saving throw or attack is treated normally rather than being deemed as an automatic failure. She can physically sense things up to 12, 12 miles away from her. She can also perceive anything that is 12 miles within any of her worshippers, holy sites, objects, or any location where her name was spoken in the last hour. Her senses can also be pushed out to 10 different locations at once. Any wave, strong current, or sea wind can be sensed by Umberly the instant it happens and can be and she can become aware of such things 12-10 days after the event occurs. She is also aware of every event presently occurring on the surface of any body of water that is 12 square miles in surface area or greater. Umberly can create any magic item relevant to shipboard use or magic items that would allow surface dwellers to exist underwater with greater ease so long as the item is less than 200,000 gold pieces in value. Umberly's avatar resembles the appearance of Umberly herself as she towers over normal humanoids. Manifestations of Umberly include wind or waves that are accompanied by the sound of Umberly's cruel laughter and or a message from Umberly herself. And Umberly can also enact her will through sea monsters and beasts of all different types. Examples include sharks, krakens, and undead creatures who have been drowned at sea. Personal History Umberly is held to be one of the first circle of druids alongside the other nature deities of the Faerunian pantheon. Thousands of years ago, at an unspecified time, Umberly had a lover known as Iocovis. Iocovis was once of a lowly station a mortal, before Umberly provided him with power. The legend hints that Iocovis may have been the only love that Umberly, Umberly actually cared for. He went on to subjugate all the seas of Toro under his rule, and this period was a dreadful time for all undersea peoples. Though it is unknown how or why Iocovis was left for dead by Umberly, stripped of all his power, it is said that he may have tried to replace Umberly as the deity of the sea, or that Umberly grew tired of him. In the end, however, some say love stayed Umberly's hand as she could not bring herself to kill Iocovus. Iocovus would eventually recover and go on to terrorize the, terrorize the realms once more, but that story is for another time as it no longer involves Umberly. During the time of Troubles, Umberly resided in the Sea of Fallen Stars. Here she spent her time displaying her wrath from one pirate island to the next. 
Parts of the sea were impassable until the spring of 1359 Dale Reckoning, when things finally returned back to normal. Personality Umberly is an intermediate, chaotic, evil deity. She is malicious, mean-spirited, vain, and lusts after power. She easily makes and breaks agreements with others without hesitation. Though it is not unheard of for Umberly to grant power to those who have given her great amounts of adoration. She revels in seeing the wanton destruction and death of those who attempt to brave the seas. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model that was used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed model for 5th edition, Umberly resides on the 13th layer of the abyss known as Blood Tor. The Abyss is one of the more popular planes, but I'll just give a basic rundown of it anyways, just in case you are new to the hobby and this isn't already known to you. The Abyss is the chaotic evil plane of existence. This plane is thought to have an infinite number of layers, though for now there have been 666 layers documented. Each layer is distinct in their own separate environments, though what is common between them is the evil that permeates every aspect. Many of the layers of the Abyss are regarded as separate realms of their own, where a deity or powerful demon lord presides. Other layers of the Abyss do not have a a definite ruler. Instead, multiple conflicting or non-conflicting entities reside on the same layer, such is the case as the 13th layer. Here, Umberly shares her her realm with that of Bashaba, the Faerunian deity of misfortune. Both of these deities seem to coexist neutrally in Blood Tor. The red waters that span the lair are Umberly's realm, though I cannot find a specific name given to Umberly's realm in this ocean. In the Great Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition, Umberly resides on the plane of Fury's heart. Fury's heart is desolate with little life. Here storms and blizzards rage, winds howl, waves crash, and wild beasts of all sorts roam. It is a realm that looks to always destroy life. It is, after all, the home plane for the gods of fury. Those who inhabit this plane are evil and bestial creatures. Umberly's personal realm on Fury's heart is known as the Blood Sea. The literal Red Sea experiences constant storms with gale-force winds, torrential downpours, and massive waves. Here, Umberly's were-sharks, as well as her own petitioners, reside. Some of her petitioners, petitioners take on the fierce forms of sea animals when they come to finally reside here. In the World Access cosmological model used in 4th edition, Umberly came to reside in Sylvanus's domain out in the Astral Sea. No buildings here have been built on this unspoiled expanse of wilderness. Here, Umberly resides in a deep and foreboding ocean. I don't quite know why this happened, but she no longer was associated with Talos in 4th edition. But after reading a 4th edition Era of Dragon magazine article, issue 378 in particular, Talos seems to have been relegated to an aspect of Grumsh. Talos only then went on to become his own individual deity post-Second Sundering, If you, say for example, look at Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, you can see a separate article for him. Issue here is, I 
don't know if the Gods of Fury are back together or not. They very well could be, but it is not stated. Allies and Allegiances Umberly's allies, if you can really call them that, include Talos, Auril, and Malar. Talos is the superior to Umberly, as well as the other remaining members of the Gods of Fury, Auril, and Malar. Umberly is flirtatious with Talos, but always conspiring against him. Umberly is all too aware of Talos' desire to further encroach on her portfolio. Among the fellow Gods of Fury, Umberly has the most favorable relationship with Auril. Auril goes to Umberly asking for aid with a fair degree of reliability. Enemies Umberly's enemies include Saloon, Valkyr, Shantia, and Soon. Saloon and Valkyr actively work against Umberly's control over the fate of ships out on the open seas. Shantia is despised by Umberly for the control Shantia has over the land. Finally, Umberly deeply envies the beauty of Soon. Deity and Avatar stop stat blocks. You can find the second edition stat block for Umberly's Avatar in the Face and Avatar supplement. You can find the third edition stat block for Umberly herself and her Avatar in the Faith and Pantheons supplement. Symbols. Umberly has only one symbol. The symbol is. Two waves that are beginning to depart from one another, one wave curling to the left, the other curling to the right. Usually these waves are blue-green in color, and they are placed upon a black background decorated with streaks of white. Central Dogma From the Faith and Pantheon's 3rd edition supplement. Quote, The sea is a savage place and those that travel it had best be willing to pay the price of challenging Umberly's domain. All should know Umberly's name and fear her, for the wind and the wave can reach everywhere if sufficiently angered. Fair offerings bring fair winds to sea travelers, but those who do not pay their respects will find that the sea is as cold as Umberly's heart. Spread the word of the might of Umberly, and let no service be done in her name without a price. Make folk fear the wind and wave unless a cleric of Umberly is there to protect them. Slay those who ascribe sea and shore storms to Talos. End quote. Presence of the Faith Umberly is often placated through tribute and gifts rather than worship in the traditional sense. Those who pay tribute to Umberly include sea merchants, pirates, sailors, and coastal laypeople. Umberly is genuinely worshipped by other pirates, some sentient sea creatures, and were-sharks, a lycanthrope variety of her own creation. Worshippers of Umberly typically are of a chaotic evil, chaotic neutral, or neutral evil alignment. The consequences she inflicts or threatens to inflict are what feels the attention she desires among the lay people of the realms. Sailors will often try to placate Umberly through various means. Gemstones are often tossed over the side of their vessels to turn her wrath away from them. Sailors might also go to a shrine of Umberly 
found in many coastal settlements and leave offerings. These offerings include flowers, candles, coins, and candies. I did not find any reason why candies are left at these shrines, so I'm just speculating that either Umberly likes to think of herself as sweet, and the candies are just an affirmation of her own belief. Other sailors will toss some valuable cargo overboard before starting a journey, while playing songs dedicated to Umberly. Morbidly, if the journey is perilous, something alive will often be tossed overboard and sacrificed to Umberly. The clergy of Umberly, collectively known as the Undrowned, live off the offerings left at shrines and temples by superstitious and fearful pirates and sailors. Clergy make sure that no worshippers are near the altars and shrines of Umberly when they remove these offerings. Seawater containing seaweed is then dumped over their surface to let worshippers know that Umberly has come to claim what is hers. Despite serving an evil deity, Umberland clergy are free to walk unchallenged in a majority of ports for fear of the influence Umberly has on the sea. Faerunian pirates and sailors are a superstitious lot, and a few of these superstitions are tied to the perceived attention of Umberly. These superstitions are Do not groom yourself when out at sea, for that it is seen as a form of devotion to soon, and this will only anger Umberly and turn her animosity towards you. Do not ever say the word drown at sea, or you will immediately attract Umberly's attention. Finally, as much as swimming may help you, the moment you fall overboard, you are at the whims of Umberly. The clergy of Umberly are also paid to travel aboard the ships, as it is thought that by carrying Umberland clergy, Umberly will not harm the ship. An Umberland clergy member reportedly can be paid upwards of 500 gold pieces for a trip between Calumport and Waterdeep. Clergy members may also charge by the spell. Though this carries its own risk, since sailors seem a little too willing to murder and toss clergy overboard when they are caught in a storm, believing it will placate Umberly. In previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons, the Umberland clergy could cast a spell called Speak with Drowned Dead. This is a desirable spell for pirates and other treasure hunters who are looking to seek out the sunken ships and treasures, and they will pay to have the spell cast. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy There is little of any sort of hierarchy and structure to the faith of Umberly. Each sect seems to run their temples and shrines to their own specifications. Typically, whoever is the strongest cleric tends to act as the leader of the sect. This disorganized clergy resorts to duels with sickle-like knives to settle matters of rank. These duels are rarely fatal. But to further shame the loser, the loser is thrown aboard the next ship leaving port, despite where it might be headed. Novice clergy are known as untaken. They are not allowed to take offerings, lead prayers, or give out blessings until the untaken completes the drowning an initiation ritual. Full clergy members give themselves one of several different titles that they just seem to have a preference for, rather than a title that denotes any sort of rank in the clergy. 
Some of these titles include Flood Tide, Dark Breaker, Puissant Undertow, Wave of Fury, Savage Sea Wind, and Wave Mistress or Wave Lord. Wave Servants are recognized to be of a higher standing even in this disorganized clerical body. As such, they place the honorific dread in front of their titles. Responsibilities and Duties of the Clergy and Worshippers Clergy are expected to spread news and stories of the wrath Umberly has unleashed out on the open seas or on coastal towns. By doing this, they hopefully build up enough favor for Umberly to teleport them ashore if a ship they travel aboard ever is brought down by Umberly's wrath in the future. This also fuels the desire to placate Umberly in the future and thus bring more funds into the church. Orders and Priestly Bodies Organized bodies of Umberland clergy and paladins are few and far between. One group, however, are the Sea Queen's Breakers who themselves are known adventurers. They seek out treasure and participate in recovery missions out on the sea. At the same time, if the gold is good, they will fulfill tasks out on the land. Anchors are specialty priests who are paid to navigate boats around sea hazards, as well as save those who are thrown overboard. Tempests are another group of specialty priests who focus on influencing the weather, and they are paid handsomely to help sailors and merchants have as peaceful a journey as possible out on the open seas. Despite the majority of them having a chaotic evil alignment, a tempest can be trusted to do what they are asked so long as the right amount of gold is paid. Still, tempests typically are an impulsive lot prone to outbursts and tantrums. Wave servants are the elite clergy of Umberley. They tend to want to be on their own, some spending their time alone on coasts or islands that are frequented by storms. Others always seem to be aboard one ship or another, rarely setting foot on the ground. They live much like pirates, stealing from those who do not make the proper offerings to Umberly when asked. The Kraken Society isn't an Umberland body. However, it is affiliated with and has several members who worship Umberly. This society values information and acts as brokers to sell such information in an effort to influence the activities of nations and countries along the trackless sea. The Kraken Society will use murder, kidnapping, and torture in order to get their own way. Their leader is a Kraken wizard named Slarkrathrell, who is a chosen of Umberly. This Kraken has desires to rule a large underwater kingdom one day, and further aspirations to attain godhood. Apparently, he has the full backing of Umberly in these aspirations. Appearance and Dress The ceremonial dress of Umberland clergy is a skin-tight blue or green suit. Over top, clergy wear a billowing cape of green or blue that is trimmed with white fur to represent the white foam that crests the top of waves. The tall collar on this cape is also trimmed with the same white fur. When adventuring, clergy wear whatever they so choose, as long as something of blue and green is worn. 
Clergy will often decorate themselves with items to remind surface dwellers of the danger and horrors of the sea. Adams, sorry, items like a necklace of shark teeth or a human bone wrapped in seaweed. Some clerics and clergy will wear the severed hand of a drowned person and use this hand as a holy symbol and a badge of rank. Anchors wear little clothing, save swimwear, to allow themselves to swim immediately unhindered. As with all Umberland clergy, the swimwear is blue or green in color. To keep themselves warm, they will wear a heavy white cloak. When on land, they wear the same bodysuit as normal Umberland clergy. They carry harpoons, tridents, and or daggers for weapons. A badge of distinction among the anchors is a black coral tiara. Tempests wear the typical, cer- the typical ceremonial dress of the Umberland clergy. They also share the black tiara as a badge of distinction with the anchors. Tempests also refuse to wear armor and carry tridents for protection. The majority of Umberland clergy all carry a hooked dueling dagger with them if the need for a duel between fellow clergy members arises. Rituals Umberly is worshipped daily by her clergy with prayers and offerings. Specifically, though, they are to anoint their brow, hands, and feet with salt water. Clerics meditate and pray for their spells at high tide, either in the morning or the evening. During the drowning initiation ritual, the novices of the clergy, known as the untaken, are brought into a temple. The untaken is then laid in front of an altar and surrounded by candles. Each candle is placed by a different clergy member, and they each say a prayer to Umberly when they place the candle. The clergy members then leave the room, and a senior clergy member casts a spell to flood the room with seawater. If the untaken survives, they become full clergy members. But this success is met with a warning that Umberly only spared the untaken now, and at any time she can claim them in the future. As stories do tell of clergy members who turned against Umberly, drowning in their sleep, mysteriously with seawater in their lungs. The drowning is a private ritual that is to only be witnessed by clergy members. The first tide is a sacrificial ritual that takes place when the ice first starts to break up in harbors. Clergy parade down to the shore, marching and playing instruments all the while carrying or leading an animal with them. The animal is then tied to a rock and hurled into the water. The animal is expected to die, but if it is able to find its way back up to the shore, it is then regarded as a sacred animal and is honored with the rank of a full clergy member. This ritual is derived from an older rite when human sacrifices were tossed into the sea to drown. Umberly would then free those who, would she, who she would then make her clergy. The storm call ritual is a ritual that involves a body of Umberland worshippers gathering together to say an extensive prayer to Umberly. They ask Umberly to bring a storm to wreak devastation upon another settlement or ship, or they attempt to ask Umberly to turn away an existing storm or one approaching their location. The worshippers kneel around pools of water. On the surface of the water are floating planks of driftwood prepared by Umberland clergy for this ritual specifically. 
Atop the, dri- uh, atop the driftwood are lit candles. Precious goods are then placed into the pools as sacrifices. Clergy need to keep the candles alight through this whole ritual, as a candle that is doused by any of the water is seen as an omen of Umberley's disfavor. General locations of temples and shrines. Temples are always located along the coast or even possibly underwater. They can be found in sea caves. Temples may be constructed of flotsam, coastal rocks, and or from the large cell from the large shells of sea beasts. Specific locations of temples and shrines. The house on the cliff near Marsember was formerly the grandest and most influential Umberland temple until it was destroyed during the time of troubles. Ship's Grave Tower in Velen is inhabited by ex-pirate battle-hardened clergy. This three-story temple seems to emit the moaning sound of the wind at all times, despite days where, this, where the wind seems relatively calm. The, co- the Cove of the Queen in Mintarn is found in a hidden harbor where the pirates here are led by Umberland clergy. Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate both have temples to Umberley that are staffed by the widows of sailors who were lost at sea. The Water Queen's house is found in Baldur's Gate. The Queen's Spire is found in Waterdeep. In Waterdeep, a festival called Fleet's Wake is held, taking place during the last ten day in the month of Ches to celebrate the sea and sailors. A series of boat races are held during this festival. The winnings and trophies from these races are not kept by the winners, but instead are delivered to the Queen Spire. During the last days of the festival, city guards go out collecting offerings to Umberlean taverns and collection boxes. On the last day of Fleet's Wake, all the coin is collected and dumped into the deepest part of the harbor. This festival has been occurring for over two millennia, and a sizable amount of wealth now sits at the bottom of the harbor, known as Umberley's Cache. This area is guarded by merfolk guardians who will kill anyone on sight who attempts to get at the cache. Some say that the chests and the cache have been warded with, spell- with spells as well. Sea Caves of the Roaring in Teshburl is a large temple adorned with gold. Here the clergy sell storm tokens to sailors who are fearful of storms and or cannot swim. These tokens are said to guarantee a safe journey, though it does not extend to the rest of the crew or ship. The Towers of Fury in Calimport is a temple complex devoted to the gods of fury. In Byzantur, an unnamed temple to Umberley is built of blue-veined green marble. It is one of the largest temples to Umberley in Faerun. Named temples to Umberley include Stormhaven House in Orlumber, the Battering Wave in Sherzlagal, Hall of Black Waves in Rotham. Unnamed temples to Umberley can be found in Dragon Isle and the Pride Isles of the Sea of the Falling Stars, Westgate, Ermlasper, Luskin, and Moran. Shrines to Umberley can be found in Marsember, Hillsfar, Mullmaster, Zental Keep, Tantris, Destroyed Eolrathon, Ethkatla, Raven's Bluff, and Thentia. Character Options For 2nd edition, you can find the features for the Water Servant, specially Priest of Umberley, in the Faith and Avatar Supplement. The features for both the Anchor 
Priest and Tempest Priest can be found in the Warriors and Priests of the Realm supplement. For 3rd edition, the Wave Servant Prestige class can be found in the Faiths and Pantheon supplement. Continuing the practice of building backgrounds for the for a worshipper each deity, here are my suggested characteristics for our Umber, Umberland worshipper. For your two skill proficiencies, I would choose athletics and intimidation. For your two languages or, and or proficiencies, uh, I would choose the language proficiency in abyssal and a tool proficiency of vehicles water. For equipment, I would take the sailor's equipment. And for the feature, I would take either the sailor's passage from the sailor background in the player's handbook or the variant pirate's bad reputation, which is also found in the player's handbook. Here's the list of subclasses that I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Umberly. For the Barbarian, you have the Storm Herald Barbarian from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For the Bard, you have a College of Whispers Bard from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. For a Cleric, you have the Tempest Cleric from the PHB. I can see a very good argument for a Nature Cleric as well, though you might have to choose some of the some of the more aquatically favored spells to replace with the ones that are permanently associated with the nature domain. For the druid, you have the circle of the land druid from the PHB, with the coast as your chosen land type. The monk, you have the way of the four elementals monk, who from the player's handbook, who primarily uses wind and water abilities. For the ranger, you have the beastmaster and hunter, both from the player's handbook and Gloomstalker from Xanthar's Guide to Everything, if you want to play that aquatic ranger who kind of dips and dives into the deepest, darkest depths of the seas and sea caves. Obviously, you would choose Coast to start as their favorite terrain. For the Rogue, you have the Swashbuckler from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and Xanthar's. For, and finally, for Sorcerer, you can take a look at the Divine Soul and the Source, Storm Sorcerer, both found in Xanthar's Guide to Everything. But the Storm Sorcerer can be found in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Dungeon Master Options Starting with monsters, here's a list from official 5th edition sources that would, or I think would, worship and or serve Umberly. From the Monster Manual, there's the Kraken, uh, Marrow, Evil Merfolk, uh, Suhugan, Sahagwin, however you want to pronounce it, Obviously, they are often only associated with their own specific deity of Sekala, but I do think that you definitely could have a sect or a group of them who would worship Umberly. Uh, moving on, you also have the giant crab, the giant octopus, the giant shark, the hunter shark, the killer whale, the reef shark, and the swarm of quippers. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, you have the deep scion and the sea spawn. Ghosts, Ghosts of Submerge is great and has really kind of opened up a lot of monster and NPC options. So from that adventure, you have the Drowned Ascetic, the Drowned Assassin, the Drowned Blade, the Drowned Master, the Juvenile Kraken, the Coilinths, the different Sahuigans that are presented in there, and the Shell Shark. In Storm of King's Thunder, there's the stat block for the Hunting Crab. And finally, from 5th edition sources, in Tales from the Yawning Portal, there's the Malformed Kraken and the Sea Lion, who is not 
like a sea lion you would think. Other non-physician monsters associated with Umberly of note. The were shark doesn't have an official physician source, but you can find a, a stat block for them in the third edition supplement Monstrous Compendium Monsters of Faerun. Again, these were sharks are a specific variety of lycanthrope created by Umberly and are a very big part of her clergy. Moving on to NPCs that you can find in 5th edition sources. In the monster manual, you have the Acolyte, they'll swap in different spells. The Druid, they'll swap in different spells. And the Priest, but swap in different spells. Um, from Volo's uh, Guide to Monsters, you have the Archdruid, Kraken Priest, and the Swashbuckler. And finally from the, finally from the Ghost Assault Marsh Adventure, there's a whack of different varieties of pirates in that adventure that you can take a look at, and the Riptide Priest. Moving on to magic items. So, the Aglara is one of, if you have been following the podcast so far, especially at this uh, run of Faerunian Pantheon deities, the Aglara is one of these holy relics that are quote-unquote books in the loosest sense, that are found in the Prayers of the Faithful 2nd Edition Supplement. So the Aglara has been misidentified as a valuable serving tray throughout the centuries. It is a fan-shaped, polished, and iridescent abalone shell that is at least 2 feet across and 3 feet long. There are no outward markings on its surface. To reveal the spells in this book... It needs to be placed on sand where seawater can roll over top of it, though you can hold it under seawater while out at sea to replicate the same effect. When the spells are revealed, if you touch a spell that is listed on the Aglara's surface, the rest of the listed spells will disappear. The list will then be replaced with a complete inscription of the selected spell. The relic is little known about even by Umberland clergy. Its origins remain a mystery. Some say it was created by Umberly herself and first delivered to a clergy member who was in dire need out on the sea. Records first document its use in 1016 Dale Reckoning. Throughout the years, this relic was used in initiations and other rites of passage. The last recorded sighting of the Uglara was found in 1347 Dale Reckoning when it was in the possession of six dwarves who claimed it from the holdings of a defeated high-ranking Umberlearnt priest. It has been reported in separate sightings 30 times along the Sword Coast, though what truth lies in these sightings remains to be seen. Unique to the Uglara is a set of, medical, set of magical features. It will teleport itself as well as only one person touching it to a random location on Faerun if it is exposed to fire or if any attempts to disenchant it are made. It will, it will reflect back all missiles and ranged magic spells that touch its surface. It can be willed to glow with a fairy, fairy fire-like illuminescence, and finally it can also be willed to grant someone the ability to water walk once per day. As I've said earlier, the specific spells, as long as it's described features, can be found in the Prayers of the Faithful 2nd Edition Supplement. To round out the section on Dungeon Master options, here is a list from 5th edition sources of magic items I think are most appropriate to the Church of Umberley. 
From the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's the Cap of Water Breathing, the Cloak of the Manta Ray, the Folding Boat, Gloves of Swimming and Climbing, Javelin of Lightning, Mariner's Armor, Potion of Water Breathing, the Anchor Qual's Feather Token, the Ring of Swimming, the Ring of Water Walking, Staff of Thunder and Lightning, Trident of Fish Command, and Wave, the legendary trident that is documented as a legendary item. From Ghost of Saltmarsh, you have the Helm of Underwater Action, as well as the Pressure Capsule. From Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's the Candle of the Deep. Finally, from Princes of the Apocalypse, you have the Devastation Orb of Water and Drown a Magic Trident. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow the podcast's Twitter account at Realms Religion, and these episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. The podcast's YouTube channel can be found under Religion in the Realms. If you wish to get in touch with me, my personal Twitter handle is at ShivsEmbrace, or you can send an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase. For those interested, I've posted a link in the video description to a Discord server I've set up. For audio listeners, you can also find the link to the invite pinned on the podcast Twitter page. Next episode will be on Jurgle, Record Keeper of the Dead. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Malicious, by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.